0: Broadcasting live from a burnt orange 1993 station wagon, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Gareth Drother.
1: And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly.
0: Let's jump in to some news just right off the bat. We've got some pretty big news. We've been waiting for this cast for a while, and we know it's only going to get bigger. Ryan Johnson's Knives Out 2 has had. It's first run of casting news. They're probably going to announce two more actors by the time we actually get this episode out. Yeah. But up top, it's Dave Bautista, Edward Norton, and Janelle Monae. Like, wow, man. I
1: I understand that Knives Out, the first one, was as stacked of a cast as we could have gotten, but they're going for another insane ensemble that just might beat out the first one? I mean, snarky jerk Chris Evans is hard to beat, but this news makes me so excited, truly.
0: And I can definitely see all of them fitting into those kind of murder mystery roles. I think they're shooting in Greece, this new one. I'm assuming, like, we're going to have some rich people. I could definitely see all three of these as different rich people archetypes. I mean, I know obviously we had like that New England new money pretending to be old money in the first Knives Out. But this <laughs> yeah. sounds like a really interesting different spin on it.
1: I could also see them doing an angle in this new one where maybe there's another detective kind of on the heels of our boy Daniel Craig. Put the pressure on him a
0: little bit dave batista in his little blade runner 2049 glasses
1: yes exactly or just you know a snarky ed norton like how how good is he at playing just like kind of an unlikable but like capable person
0: yeah honestly all three of these would fit the bill for another detective that'd be pretty interesting yeah
1: think of it like this the second one it starts with like newspaper headlines about benoit blanc and his like awesome detective skills and then he's no longer the last of the gentleman detectives and everyone starts coming out of the woodworks trying to hit that sherlock holmes bit and flood the market with all these like southern gentleman detectives and you know maybe southern bell detectives janelle monet coming in with a different angle who knows
0: yeah i'd like to see that maybe we'll save that for the third one who knows, maybe turn that formula on its head. Very Agatha Christie, very Columbo, that we're getting a new exotic setting with a colorful cast of characters. I'm ready, I'm excited to see who else joins the cast.
1: Like you said, we're gonna get so many more
0: pieces of news on this cast as we go, we, we already know it. It's gonna be the new The Batman of just... We get a new piece of casting news every single week.
1: Yeah, that's definitely what it's going to be. I mean, considering the size of the last movie, we got to have a ton of suspects. You know, they're they're going to really do it up.
0: In other news, we've got the first look at Venom Two: Let There Be Carnage, starring Woody Harrelson. A new trailer dropped. I didn't see the first Venom. I'm assuming you didn't either, Seamus.
1: Yeah, dude, I didn't. I didn't even have an inkling to go see that movie.
0: And this movie, let me tell you, it does not look good. It doesn't make me want to see <laughs> Venom anymore. We will be doing it for the show, of course.
1: Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to. I'm I'm honestly more curious than ever. Because the only Venom I really know is the Topher Grace Spider-Man 3 Venom. Sure. You know, seeing that as a kid never really gave much of an indication that the symbiote was like a second personality, I guess. More of like just globs onto your personality and corrupts it. And this is like, I think you couldn't hear my reaction because I was listening to you watch the trailer. But you said it was like the odd couple where they're just both the same. I don't know. It doesn't really do anything for me either I always love Woody Harrelson, usually. I am a fan of Tom Hardy, usually. But just whatever this is, is not clicking for me.
0: Every actor that was in Venom 1 and Venom 2, I am about them. Tom Hardy, great. Woody, great. Michelle Williams, Riz Ahmed, outstanding actors. Top of their field. Like, there's nothing they can do to save this for me. It's just what they've been given. It's the tone of the film, I think. like This trailer looks like a trailer, I said this to you before, for four different movies buddy comedy there's like a horror film i am very interested in the woody harrelson carnage prison break sequence that there's a little couple of flashes of that looks pretty sick i think
1: are you talking about like the moment where like all the prison guards are like opening fire and
0: yeah which i'm assuming is right after he breaks out of his uh lethal injection whatever happens there yeah sure gives me big Spider-Man Two, Doc Ox, tentacles killing all of the, <laughs> killing all the surgeons.
1: Yeah, a scene my mother covered my eyes for. I, I'm still pissed to this day.
0: Oh, that one of the best, man. Just, oh God, nobody doesn't like Raimi. We know that, but <laughs> truly,
1: uh, one of the one of the things we do see in this trailer too, though, is a spider get squished, which implies that maybe they're gonna like there were rumors during the first Venom's production that. There's gonna be a little Tom Holland stinger in the in the after credits or something like that, but you know, maybe they're gonna work something in, you know, we got multiverses now, we got different universes. It's it's all up in the air, so they really could if they wanted to, I guess. Something that I was thinking about, uh, when all that Morbius stuff was coming out, that's that's Sony too, right?
0: That's in the Venom verse.
1: I remember examining the background of that trailer and finding like uh the amazing Spider-Man lookalikes in the background like on posters maybe
0: that they used a piece of promotional material from amazing spider-man 2 as a piece of graffiti in the background of the morbius trailer i remember that yeah
1: with andrew garfield and toby doing you know spider-verse of madness and we got other stuff going maybe they'll reignite the garfield
0: verse that would be a pretty great twist i think if all along this is taking place in the andrew garfield Spider-Man universe, I think that'd be pretty great. I don't really care about Tom Holland showing up at the end of this movie, but if Andrew Garfield shows up at the end of this movie, that would be outstanding. That,
1: that would be next level. That would make me care way more about The Amazing Spider-Man. And, like, you know, I liked the, the first one... With the lizard and stuff, like, I didn't think that was a terrible movie. They could bring it back. They could do it. And that would settle all this weird... I don't know if there's still Spider-Man drama with Sony and Marvel, but, like, if they could just kind of play with their own Spider-Man universe, could be good for everybody.
0: Only in theaters.
1: Oh, yeah. Very important.
0: And speaking of something that's only in theaters, Chance the Rapper has made a concert film that he is directly distributing exclusively through AMC Theatres.
1: That's cool, man. I think one of the main number one things that people tell me when I, when we talk about like the before times before COVID or like what we're going to do after everything's okay. It's always concerts. Live music is number one. And you know, since that's probably still not going to happen comfortably for a while, I think this is a really cool idea for somebody so popular to do something like this.
0: And I mean, it's a huge deal to my knowledge I can't think of something that's been distributed exclusively through a theater chain before. Like the AMC is distributing something directly.
1: Yeah, I guess I I kind of was thinking of like those Fathom events, you know. Yeah, but even like that's like IMAX Fathom
0: stuff. is like a studio, right? Yeah, IMAX exactly. Is like a studio. AMC is taking a, a independently financed film and distributing it through their theater. Like that's just insane to me.
1: Yeah, that is that is really strange.
0: Also, this is old news by the time this episode goes up, but a few days ago they're having previews at AMC River East down on the Mag Mile, And you know the one with the Dolby and all the and all the nice art downtown. Ooh, yeah. You could only buy tickets to the advanced screenings in person and it was just chance behind the ticket booth selling the tickets to the advanced screenings. It was just what? Chance the rapper he was, was just, just sitting there? behind the counter. <laughs>
1: That is so baller. That is very funny. He's such a cool dude, man. He's such a stand-up guy.
0: I think a lot of people dunk on him, which is a shame and I think kind of unfair because he's really authentic and really cares about pushing boundaries and doing good deeds throughout his career. I'm a big Chance fan. Yeah, man,
1: me too. He's uh, He's got me into a lot of hip-hop in a lot of ways, just like growing up when his big, like, acid rap, when was that for oh, us? Like... Holy
0: God what, almost 10 years ago now?
1: Yeah, that album, like, blew my mind as a young boy, so, I you know, I've seen him live a couple times, too, Every, anytime I would go, to, like, really any hip-hop show in Chicago, he would just, like, run out from backstage, because he's just friends <laughs> with everybody, and he would literally, do, like, three songs, and drop it, yeah. and leave, it was great, he, he's a class act.
0: But up next, a new Disney Plus Halloween special that was just announced, Muppets, Haunted Mansion. We don't really know anything about this yet, but... Presumably, it is the Muppets mashing up with the Disney brand, mostly the theme park attraction, I'm assuming not the Eddie Murphy movie, The
1: Haunted Mansion. (laughs) Or it's a direct sequel to the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion, where Kermit helps him get brave and go back to the mansion. That'd be be a
0: pretty good movie, (laughs) Shane. I'd watch that.
1: Oh, man. Well, I mean, this sounds like a lot of fun. Like, we've talked about it forever on this show, but The Muppets are just absolute
0: gold and
1: they really haven't done any Haunted Mansion stuff since that Eddie Murphy one, have they? So
0: They were supposed to do the Guillermo del Toro movie. That seems to not be happening. And then, like, three weeks ago on the show, we talked about Justin Simeon. Dear White People director Justin Simeon is doing a Haunted Mansion movie, so I'm wondering if this... I mean, I'm assuming there's not going to be Muppets in Justin Simeon's Haunted Mansion (laughs) movie, but, like, is this going to be a special... Like, you know how they used to do, like, Live from Disneyland specials, and sometimes the Muppets would be on them. I wonder if it's going to be like almost oh, sure. like that.
1: That'd be interesting.
0: Like, you've got the puppets like and they're hanging out in the ballroom or whatever on the ride and
1: whatever it is. It's going to be a lot of fun. But I, I really do hope it's like I want to see
0: Kermit get scared. He's funny when he's scared. I'm in. The Muppets truly interacting with ghosts and getting some good spooks on them. I think that'd be really fun.
1: You got Beaker and Dr. Benson Honeydew get some mad scientist action. I don't know if there's a mad science section of that ride, but...
0: Not really, but you could make it work. There's definitely ways you could implement the Muppets into the Haunted Mansion as like... Like there's a bride that could definitely be Piggy. I'm really trying to come up with a duo for Statler and Waldorf, and I can't think of, like, an actual duo on the Haunted Mansion. There's two dueling paintings. There's paintings in the ballroom that shoot each other. Oh,
1: yeah, that could be pretty good. I was also going to say they could do, like, a meta intro where Statler and Waldorf are on the ride, and that's how we get into the... Like, it's just them making fun of the ride, and then we get into (laughs) the real story.
0: Uh... The scariest part is the fact that I'm still on the ride.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Great, great stuff.
0: I'm excited for this. I'm interested to see where it goes. Hopefully, if there's a market for spooky Muppet stuff, they'll do a PS4, PS5 remaster of the PlayStation 1 classic Muppet Monster Adventure that's, like, impossible to get your hands on a copy of.
1: That was the deepest pull I've ever experienced, Garrett. That is the most insane thing I've ever heard you say, but now I want to see what that game is about, truly.
0: Lastly, the speaking of video games, actually, this is a nice transition. Look at us. Ooh. The final PlayStation Play at Home event content drop. A lot of people were hoping for Ghost of Tsushima or something like that. Most people were thinking maybe God of War, but no, the last Play at Home content drop, you know, after Ratchet & Clank and Horizon and all and nine other indie games. The last thing they're giving away is a bunch of in-game currency. It's like some double XP tokens in Warzone and some Destruction All-Stars currency, a game that nobody plays.
1: Yeah, not the best. I don't know if this was more just speculation or this was, like, miscommunication, but I was definitely under the impression that there was at least one more, like, pretty big game coming for a free drop but then that makes me sound super selfish after you just said the two AAA titles and the nine indies that we got in the last like three weeks so
0: well the issue is i think that it's all about the marketing of it it's not really on us there's usually a build to these kind of things ratchet and clank was exciting but it was on playstation plus like a few months back it's a few years old that game and then the indies were like pretty cool and got a lot of people excited and then Horizon was, like, the biggest one yet, and there was a build to this, and then Sony was like, don't worry, there's more coming, guys. Like, Horizon's not the end. And it was like, oh, no, here's some in-game currency. So I wonder if they yeah. had something that fell through, because it seems to me like they, somebody got their wires crossed, because Horizon should have been the big finale to this.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Like, it feels like a, a fizzle of an ending. You went out with a whimper, for, for sure, because, I mean, do you even play any of, like, do you play Warzone? Are you going to use any of these last oh, things, goodness, or I, are you just like...
0: I play Cold War when I have it out from the library. I don't know if that'll transfer from Warzone to, to Cold War. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to use any of this in-game currency. Like, it's nice. Like, it, like free stuff is great. I'm not trying to crap on that. I think it's more the way that this whole process was executed, because at the end of the day, they gave away 11 free games. It's a very nice gesture to your consumer base, and I don't care that they're not giving us more free stuff. I think it's just weird that they chose to go about it in that order.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. It's just kind of like the state of play stuff that the last two of them, that was also maybe due to fan overhype, but they just keep kind of... Being like, hey, get excited, and then I shouldn't be
0: excited by the time I hear what they're talking about, so... But now it's time to talk about The Mitchells versus The Machines, which is our, our main segment this week. Let's do it.
1: This week's main segment is gonna be the new Netflix original, The Mitchells versus The Machines. Wow, I really loved this movie.
0: It took me a while to warm up. But yeah, there's a
1: couple There's a couple choices, like the, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it more as we go, but there's a lot of, like, filter stuff and, like, extra non-diegetic animations that, like, spring up.
0: Yeah, some of it works and some of it doesn't. A lot of it feels really good and really authentic and, like, they we're really trying to naturally integrate young person humor and young person, like, the way that we make videos and stuff. Mm-hmm. into this film, and some of it felt like, oh, I'm an old person trying to do what I think, like, YouTube trends. Sure, yeah, sure. I think most of it's not that. The beginning is the most egregious of being like, ah, TikTokers, you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely very true.
0: And it's a little cringy, but like you get past it really quick, I think, because the script is just remarkably solid. This is one of the best structured films I've seen in a long time. This is the most satisfying third act I've seen in a long
1: time. I was getting towards the third act and I was like, all right, well, here we go. We're going to get to our regular wrap up here pretty soon. And I saw I had like 30 minutes left and I was like, oh, there's there's more. And it blew me out of the water, even though I was already really impressed with how everything was going.
0: I think because it's a Lord Miller production and it has this kind of postmodern infusion style animation where it's a bunch of different styles on top Mm -hmm. of each other. A lot of people are comparing Spider-Verse and this film, which is fair. You were talking about, like, the filters and the non-diegetic animation that pops up. And in Spider-Verse, it's integrated in a way so that it never stops the flow of the story. It never stops the flow of the sequence that you're experiencing, especially the action sequences in Spider-Verse, where you're having little thwips coming out of the webs and stuff for hours and bams, like you're watching 60s Batman. It never interrupts the natural flow of an action sequence. And I think that's the thing that's the most important for it not to interrupt. Other than maybe a crucial character moment, which it doesn't either. And the Mitchells versus the Machines has moments like meme moments that step on both of those. That step on yeah. action sequences and step on character moments. Yeah, I think the,
1: the cat filter dead stop comes to mind for sure.
0: That is the most egregious. I was like, come on, man, you were doing yeah. so well. And you're just like, oh, that's, there's that. It's like as the story progresses... It gets better at integrating those moments into action. Like there's a, I'm not going to spoil exactly what it is, but there's, there's a shot where characters like accomplish something and then you see like, oh, celebratory stuff as they're done with that action. Yeah. And that works really well. They don't stop the movie to show you that. They're just like, oh, here it is. It's good. I really liked those parts of it. They also wanted me to think the dog was a lot funnier than it was. (laughs) I just don't have a lot of patience for animal sidekicks in, in general.
1: This is obviously a lot more for spoiler time, but, you know, the dog is fun. There's not, like, a ton to it. I feel like there have been other animal sidekicks I've seen recently that is a lot more shoehorned when this dog is kind of just, like, when the dog doesn't need to matter, the dog's, like, not
0: even on screen. Like, it's just, like, doing something else. I 100% agree with you that the ends completely justify the means with the dog. It's still just, like, okay, movie. Like, (laughs) I, I don't think it's really that funny. And it just keeps wanting me to think it's funny. And I understand what they're doing. I think a huge part of why that third act is so satisfying is stuff that happens with the dog.
1: Yeah, a little bit of payoff for the whole time that they've been kind
0: of clowning on this dog. The best films don't make you notice the setup when it's happening. It's done in a way that you remember it without having to think about remembering it. It
1: sets it up so well. And then when they get knocked down and you don't really expect to be tearing up for something that... (laughs) came up earlier it's just masterfully done in this film for sure
0: what did you think of having some live action stuff in this movie where it would like cut to a real youtube video
1: yeah it was pretty strange but i guess that goes back to like the blending of animations the blending of like how they put this whole thing together i loved the like character design and like the animation of all the you know the main characters but it didn't take me out of it too much when i saw the little live action bits that get like spliced into the youtube videos what what, what about you what are your thoughts on that live action integration
0: it doesn't bother me too much but sometimes it is jarring Mm -hmm. And if it takes me out of the movie, it's a problem. Obviously, we just got done praising this movie for how it integrates different animation styles and everything like that. And the way it takes risks, it experiments. I'm not really knocking the movie for this, but the fact that when I see a live action thing and immediately it cuts back to the animation style I've gotten accustomed to, all of a sudden the animation style looks like worse Mm. for a couple seconds before I get back into it. It's like, oh, right, that's what real life looks like. And now I'm back in this world where part of the whole thing with them is they've got this kind of, like, early render thing going where the light isn't quite right intentionally, mm. where the characters have shadows behind them where they maybe shouldn't, which is kind of a, a product of early cell animation that was never yeah. supposed to be seen in HD, usually. There's a lot of little things like that where the animation intentionally has imperfections that are part of the charm and style that when you hold it up against, like, a screaming gorilla video... You're like, oh, yeah, that's absolutely just what real life looks like.
1: I don't even know if this is a spoiler, but that screaming gibbon or whatever, they intercut it like frame by frame with the animation that we were looking at it at one point, I think, or at a couple points in the movie. And yeah, that is like specifically hard to not feel taken out of a bit when you're like seriously getting flashes of both in the same second and totally understand what you're saying. It's, it's a little it's a little, little weird.
0: This is definitely like a 21st century cinematic idea, and not that it hadn't been done before this, but that they're taking the aesthetics of different styles of animation and video games and stuff like that and kind of putting it into this more realistically or differently rendered world. So you look at things like Scott Pilgrim and In the Heights as live-action examples of films that are able to integrate animation into their aesthetic in a live-action setting, and then you see films like Spider-Verse and this film that are taking a consistent animation style and then layering on top of it other animation styles and other kind of clips and non-diegetic, like you said, visuals. I love that concept. I want to make it clear that I'm not trying to dismiss what the movie's trying to do because I think it's really effective storytelling. Mm -hmm. Completely ties thematically into everything that's going on in the content of the film. That it's all about technology And the main character's filmmaking, which is very much in that, like, same style as the actual film. So it's almost like the main character has made the film that you're watching.
1: Yeah, that was what I was going to bring up, too, is, like, what I got from all of that was that all of those little added-on animations, reactions, and, you know, stingers, cutaways, that is really all the perspective of our main character, who is, like, a big portion of this film is trying to illustrate how different these kids are from their parents, how like their creative potential really does set them apart in terms of like what they view as important. And even in the film itself, we see these moments of in universe, them using this disaster as a way to find the creative side of what they're doing. So once I kind of put that spin in my own head on these cutaways and these interruptions, I was kind of, I kind of accepted it a little more.
0: I really encourage everybody to go watch this movie I'm really impressed with it, and I'm excited to talk spoilers with you in a second, Seamus.
1: Yeah, I echo that exact same thing. It's really great. I enjoyed it a lot, is all I have to say. If you got a Netflix account, which everybody has some kind of access to, you know, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, I'd watch this with my family. I feel like this would be a great family sit-down lots of laughs a lot of heart
0: my last spoiler free thought that actually is piggybacking off of something you said is i really am sad i didn't get to see this with an audience because i think so much of that third act payoff would be so good with an audience i think it would play so well definitely oh
1: god yeah a movie like this can you imagine post -post post-covid movie theaters do you remember how like it would take like a really big movie event to get people to cheer in a movie theater Every movie is going to be a cheering movie now. Everybody's just going to be so happy for the big fun screen and everybody around them. This would have this would have made everybody go wild.
0: There are moments where I cheered in this movie. I'm not kidding. Like I was into the third act. I really went like the end of this oh, movie. Oh, totally.
1: Is so good. Honestly, I would love to get into spoilers to just kind of jump around here.
0: Yeah, let's do it. First up is what the first thing we have to talk about. Seamus is the Furbies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The hell
1: of Furbies is. So horrifying. You grew up with Furby, obviously. I think we were the last generation before they put down that species for good, I think. (laughs) Exterminated Uh, that beast from our planet.
0: I remember the great Furby genocide of 2002.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Vivid, vivid memories of, like, my older brother's Furby being left on a heater in a winter night and just (laughs) wailing in pain at like three in the morning (laughs) like it was burning and just like the fear the fear obviously that's what's played on in this movie with the world's biggest monster furby
0: i don't know if furby is owned by sony there's a lot of sony products in this movie which makes sense oh yeah including the fact that the pal which is the amazon analog in like very very transparently amazon analog in this film they are also poking fun at themselves sony is because they've got the playstation 5 looking pal headquarters
1: yeah for real the design of it all the futurey robot stuff is pretty killer in this movie
0: it's like terminator meets tron meets apple meets what the dad says in this movie which is a Journey album cover. It like totally yeah. looks like all of those things. <laughs> what I was getting back to was the Furbies. I don't know if like Sony owns Furby or not, but it's really Furby and I think that's just such a crazy thing for a brand to let happen in a movie. Yeah.
1: I mean like I said, can you like go buy a Furby? There's like a joke in the movie where it's like Furby is back, come get your Furby and like they all, you know, come alive, but I don't is Sony going to start producing sentient furbies
0: furbies already were sentient that's the no, scary that's part. <laughs> i loved all of their subtitled little what is it behold the twilight <laughs> of man
1: <laughs> yeah like i will return to my dark domain stuff like that is just <laughs> leaving the lips of a hundred foot tall furby
0: when i was watching the mall sequence i was like this is going to be the highlight of this movie and It wasn't, like, it's where that movie really picked up for me. That's the midpoint. That was really where I was like, oh, this movie, I'm into this movie now.
1: Oh, man, all the Roombas rolling out together in formation.
0: I think that's also when their little pet robots really become characters, which...
1: Yeah, oh, I loved. those are the stars of this movie.
0: The MVP of this movie is Beck Bennett, who voices all of the robots except for Fred Armisen's robot.
1: Hey, don't you leave out Conan O'Brien
0: robot. That's true, there is Conan.
1: The whole conceit of all of this is so fun. Like, just the goal of the robots, a slighted Olivia Coleman, Siri, just launching humanity into space is such a fun way to exterminate humanity. They could have just killed them. They have weapons. They have, like, rocket boots. They could have just killed everybody. (laughs) Launching them into space, specifically.
0: The shot of the big V opening up and all of the little pods of humans coming in and filling it up. What a visual man. That is. Totally. Insane.
1: You know, it gave me a little bit of those Matrix vibes when you when you get the shot of all of the like goop pods with all the battery people in it. Like you said, kind of that Tron vaporwave aesthetic to it, where it's just like clean and neon.
0: Totally
1: vaporwave. This movie is yeah. <laughs>
0: Just, like, the family each has kind of, like, a different aesthetic associated with them. Like, the big thing right now is core. It's whatever core. You know, cottage core, norm core, whatever. You've definitely got, like, dad is, like, woodsman core. Like, he's got this yeah. big Offerman. <laughs>
1: Lumberjack core.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And you've got, like, the alt queer filmmaker daughter and just little boy core. It's just... yeah.
1: <laughs> Dinosaurs and being embarrassed about girls. It's it's exactly what it is.
0: So just like everybody in the family kind of has their own niche that they're playing off of and creating this aesthetic, the way that their aesthetic plays off of the super sleek Apple Tron vaporwave of Pal is brilliant. It makes such interesting visual connections.
1: Yeah, man. Going back to our intro, like the old school 1993 station wagon is like stealthing through robot territory because they just put a tarp over it. You know, it's like old world versus new world, family versus everything at the same time. It's, it's just it's very it's very well done.
0: And it's so much more nuanced than phone bad, which I really appreciate too, because when I saw the trailer for this movie, I was like, oh, it's a phone bad movie. You know, like, I hate (laughs) that.
1: Also quickly really liked how they tried to hide who the bad guy was for 30 seconds. And then they're like, oh, of course it's the phone. We knew that. What are you doing?
0: What do you mean? It's not Dr. Claw from the Inspector Gadget cartoon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Also, just a side note. I love Olivia Coleman to death. She is the absolute best ever and you know she didn't get a ton to do here obviously but you know i still thought she was great
0: she is so funny and she, her voice is so animated she's the perfect yeah. person for this because she sounds posh and sophisticated and smart but then also can do this really bubbly fast talky thing that's really charming yeah. and funny a uh, the best. She, she's a national treasure. Well, she's not our national treasure, I guess. She, she is a, a national treasure,
1: but the nation <laughs> is England. I really love Danny McBride. I think he's just absolutely hilarious in everything. I think he killed it as the dad in this. You're totally right. He's got that, like, Ron Swanson, but less cold, I guess. They still work through all that, like, family stuff together through the movie. And I got a tear in my eye once or twice on that sad father-daughter story he he was just great throughout the whole thing for sure
0: it took me a long time to figure out who it was when i was watching the movie i was like who, yeah, who
1: is that? me me too actually i had to look up the cast because i was also so curious about somehow i couldn't identify fred armison's voice and it was
0: driving me crazy and i had to look that up but it's because he does a thousand voices
1: Yeah, that's true god he is so he's great too shout out fred armison
0: is the moment where you realize eric andre is in this movie <laughs> is just, uh, it's a weird one.
1: Yeah, I guess he's like the tech mogul that starts the apocalypse, but he is relatively normal in this movie. I was ready for more of the, like, robots kicking him in the crotch a lot. You know, I was, I was waiting for the more wacky stuff on his end.
0: At first, I literally thought it was John Legend. And then, no, John Legend is also in this movie with a brilliant... Yeah. A brilliant... Meta joke of him and Chrissy Teigen playing the perfect the, yeah. the neighbors that have the unattainably perfect life that the Mitchells want.
1: Or the Mitchell mother played by Maya Rudolph yes. once, who I also love her in general, but also she was hilarious in this as well, her whole character. We get her cleaning up robot hearts and just like turning into a warrior ninja mother. It's It's kind of amazing.
0: That's the one thing where I was like, this literally comes out of... I mean, I love it. I'm not... Don't get me wrong. I was like, is this foreshadowed in any way? Or does this literally just come out of nowhere? (laughs) Like, just the fact that she's an insane martial artist.
1: (laughs) She can take on these insane Terminator robots, like, ten to (laughs) one. You know, it's... To me, that just shows that she was so confident in their safety for the entire film up until that moment for some reason, and then they just, she just went off.
0: I want to talk real quick about, while we're on the third act, the payoffs of everything. You know, the screwdriver, her YouTube videos, the pug.
1: Yeah, the stick shift driving.
0: The pterodactyl vision.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: Um, the Mitchell special, the Rick Mitchell special pterodactyl vision. That's another one where I was like, that's great. It took me out of the movie just a little bit like that. I think that's <laughs> yeah. like, I was like, the flow is so good right now. And it's like pterodactyl vision. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And just cute and whatever. But it's like, oh, yeah,
1: that's fair. I love that kid. That kid character was hilarious.
0: Who was played by one of the directors. I was like, why does this kid sound like this? And it's because oh. it's a grown man doing a kid voice. <laughs>
1: Oh, that is that is apparent from the start. That is that is
0: not hidden. Using the bathroom and then just a false alarm where he was reading. Very good. It's a nice acknowledgement of a lot of these apocalypse things where it's like, when are these people going to the bathroom and how are they <laughs> yeah. doing it safely? And
1: folding that in with the, you know, the road film. They're going cross country. They're, they've got to point to things in the car instead of just driving around, you know?
0: It's great. All... Really spectacular. I'm so impressed with this movie.
1: Yeah, man. I, I might watch it again with Kara because she, she saw a little bit and seemed very interested. Like you said, I recommend this to anybody that's got a Netflix account. You know, it's it's got a lot of heart. Very funny. Animated wonderfully. I don't know what else there is to say besides just like it is a solid piece of work. And another feather in the cap of the Sony animation department that is just Blowing me away every time I see something new from them.
0: And a beginning to a beautiful friendship between Netflix and Sony, don't forget. Oh, yeah,
1: that is right. This is the first one of their deal, huh?
0: Yep. I don't think it technically counts as part of the deal because that was closed before the Sony-Netflix deal was closed. Mm. But I suspect that deal would have already been in process when this deal was closed, I'd say. So it's under the umbrella of the deal, I'd say.
1: Yeah, sure, we can count it. It's 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 close enough probably.
0: This is the first really high profile like Netflix movie every week I feel like, and we're getting a we're getting a lot of heavy hitters coming up soon with Army of the Dead and Woman in the Window and all that.
1: Army of the Dead is Netflix, huh?
0: Yeah, again, all three of the movies I just said are not originally Netflix movies. They were oh, shot in right, distributed course. in theaters. But Netflix was really smart and scooped up a bunch of those mid-tier movies that Probably we're going to get lost in the shuffle with everything being delayed theatrically. So, I mean, smart move. I'm excited about it.
1: Yeah, same here. Especially because I was looking at Army of the Dead being like, ah, I, this won't get me into a theater again. But if I can pop that bad boy on the Netflix, I'm there. I'm there for Batista only.
0: Hey, what did you say about Tig Notaro, sir?
1: Man, I, I don't even know who that is,
0: man. She's a really <laughs> funny stand-up comedian.
1: And she's opposite Batista in this heist zombie movie.
0: That's the thing; it's a really weird cast that I'm kind of into, and we'll talk about it more off pod. But
1: <laughs> yes, of course.
0: I think that wraps us up. Definitely go see this, or don't go see it. Watch it on your couch at home.
1: Yeah, watch it with your family. It's it's really good.
0: And what do you think? Do you think this is like an eight and up movie, ten and up movie?
1: I think if you're the a, if you could relate at least to the younger brother, I think that's all you need. You know, to like, yeah, eight years old maybe. It's it's got a lot of fun, bright action, and then a lot of heart for the a lot of heart for the family together.
0: It's less violent than the Incredibles, so which is a movie yeah. I thought about a lot during this movie.
1: Oh dude, I was thinking about the Incredibles too, actually, just about like when the sibling team up was going down.
0: Yes, they have a big Dash and Violet vibe. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They fight less than Dash and Violet, but again, it's like little boy core and kinda like alt older sister. <laughs>
1: I don't even remember her name. I just in my mind I was calling her Tulip from Infinity Train because that is who she was. I can totally replace see Replace video that. game, yeah. Replace video game camp with film school, and it's like red hair, glasses, trouble with the family. You know, extraordinary adventure. And isn't she could have used some time in the Infinity Train if I'm being honest? I was gonna but... say,
0: isn't um, Alex Hirsch is in this movie too?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, he is. I saw his name in the credits for something. Who was he?
0: I have no idea. I, I saw his name in the credits, and I was like, oh, Infinity Train.
1: Ah, oh, man. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll have to look that up later. All right, well, I think that wraps us up this week with The Mitchells versus The Machines, and it's time to move on to our pop culture reference of the
0: episode. Today's pop culture reference is Netflix's Movie Every Week initiative, which they announced the first week in January of 2021 that every single week... On Netflix, there will be a new film dropping for the entirety of 2021, and I'm assuming they're kind of going to keep this up afterwards as well, although it'll be harder to do because a big part of this initiative was them being able to scoop up all of these smaller films that got pushed because of COVID and probably weren't going to be prioritized for a theatrical release when they were playing up in the movie industry. So our main topic, The Mitchell versus the Machines, is really the first big that I can think of that was in this category. Would you say, Seamus?
1: Yeah, I I would say so. I haven't, none of the other ones have really uh, caught my eye as much as this one has. And I will also say that The Mitchells versus the Machines probably also ties back into Netflix's animation goals uh, moving forward, so I think that movie a week and their animation goals are, are definitely going hand-in-hand hand here.
0: Yeah, I think they're very much intertwined, and we'll talk about that more in a second, because some other big hitters they've got are Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which is just coming out next week, uh, the Amy Adams-Wyatt Russell thriller, The Woman in the Window, which just premiered mm-hmm. this week, that Kevin Hart fatherhood movie, which is supposed to be his attempt at, like, real acting.
1: Oh, that is... Weird, considering his weird public stuff about his son and all that that got him in trouble not too long ago.
0: Yeah, I think this is probably a little bit of a rebrand for him.
1: A little bit of damage control.
0: And then we've also got another Lord Miller animation. I think they're actually directing this one, though, is America, the motion picture. Ooh, man, that I'm definitely excited for that one. Another big heavy hitter, which I don't think has an official release date yet. I'm guessing it's going to be more in award season, not for the summer, but... The new Adam McKay movie, Don't Look Up, with Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, and Timothy Chalamet, so that's going to be a big one, I think.
1: Oh, that's going to be... They're going to make a huge deal out of that premiere, that's for sure.
0: This is a really big initiative that I think is going to see the real start. I mean, streaming has already become more of a prestige event, that there can be prestige films released directly to streaming but now with the advent of the HBO Max deal with with Warner Brothers and now Netflix dropping all of these theatrical releases i wonder if this is kind of the beginning of a tide turn for streaming releases
1: i can hope so i haven't been the most impressed by like Netflix original stuff in the last couple of years but i think you know we've been gushing so much about like HBO Max and all these new newer streaming services that are kind of Eclipsing Netflix and this is their if this is their big push to, you know, kind of reclaim their throne of the streaming services, whatever you want to call it, I think if they really play this right, it could get me kind of back as a prime Netflix user, because I've been using it less and less if I'm being honest.
0: It was literally the very last thing. I opened up my PS5 and I've got all my streaming apps, you know, on my home screen. This is the uh-huh. last one. I do not <laughs> yeah, know the last man. time I used it.
1: Oh god, yeah. It's it's not often, that's for sure. But if they keep putting out good stuff like Missions and Machines, if if that is the level of quality for every single week, then that's a game changer.
0: I don't know when we did the Battle of the Streaming Services off the top of my head, but maybe we should make it a yearly thing, because I think the landscape has changed a lot under COVID.
1: I think that might be a good idea. Like, change the roster every year. It's like March Madness, pit them all against each other.
0: That was January 31st. That was the end of January. So... I think it could be really interesting to do every January when we're usually in kind of a dead zone anyway. Yeah, I think that'd be a great
1: idea because, like you said, if if so much can change in, like, six months, a whole year is going to be wild. You know, interface changes, new deals being made
0: every every day with new companies, it, 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 it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, because, I mean, this this Netflix initiative honestly could bump it up in the rankings, I think. I do
1: too. I mean, like I said, if it's Mitchell's and the Machines level of quality across the board, even if it gets kind of close to that, like it's going to be, it's going to be something special.
0: Shall we rec center, Seamus? We shall, Garrett. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what do you got up top?
1: You know, I'm a bit of a trophy hunter these days on my PlayStation. I try to go for those platinums. And that's usually how I feel like a full sense of completion with a game. You know, I, there's literally nothing else you can really do in a game new until after you get that platinum trophy. But just yesterday, I finally. It, this is not even a platinum, but my full satisfaction in finally beating a From Software game, I beat Bloodborne after like Whoa. six years of trying to beat that game, restarting it like six or seven different times and just abandoning it halfway through. I finally beat it. Oh, the feeling of accomplishment is unmeasured.
0: I don't think I could do it. I don't think I have the patience for it. <laughs> I know I, at the end of the day it's just like dodge and thrust and parry, but like
1: oh god, it is it is the grind of all grinds and you know in the end it took playing it with Kara for her to shame me into continuing basically because if if it were up to me i would have just been like ah whatever it's not worth it it's fine but you know that having an audience really made me go for it and it was fantastic i know you're not the biggest fan of like insanely hard bs games like that but if you ever get the chance and i know you do mr ps5 just give it a shot it is
0: literally in my library
1: Oh, Literally. I know it is, dude. Oh man, yeah. It's um technically I've read that it's the easiest of the From Software games, which is insane to me. But uh, you know, it still was an insane accomplishment. So give it a shot for sure.
0: Well, as somebody who just got super frustrated on the second Valkyrie and God of War on easy mode, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll take that under advisement.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. I might be on
0: normal mode. I don't remember. I often play games on uh, easy. No, but. My Rec Center, I cannot believe this is so serendipitous, Seamus. I have a hard BS video game Rec Center. Oh my god,
1: I know exactly what it is, too. Oh my gosh.
0: I uh, have gotten from the library, and I think this is my first PS5 exclusive Rec Center on here. Ooh. The game Returnal, which is a... It's, it just came out a couple weeks ago. It's a brand new ps5 title that is a time loop game essentially where you are this astronaut who repeatedly crash lands on a hostile alien planet where all of a sudden you're finding like bodies of your past self and wondering what's going on and your goal is to reach this beacon without dying so basically every time you die you re-experience the crash and you've just got to start over and the enemies and the environment adapt as you go through.
1: Oh my god, that sounds,
0: like, just from a difficulty standpoint, insane. Oh my god. I've not been playing it like a maniac like a lot of people I've been reading about and talking to have been. My friend Eric, he got it on my recommendation. He texted me, he saw me playing it, and he was like, hey, is this worth getting? Because he's the only person I know with a PS5. And I'm like, yeah, it's worth worth getting. And, like, within 12 hours, he was playing it. (laughs) Oh, nice. And I think he's been playing it. I think he's probably farther than I am now. So far, I'm really enjoying it. I haven't hit, I think, the really big difficulty spike yet because so far I'm like, this is challenging, sure. But it's like, as long as I'm really careful, it's okay. You know, I'm not... Yeah. But that's the thing. It requires maximum concentration. Like most of the time when I'm playing a game, it's usually when I have to pay attention to the story or something that I have a problem. But this game... I cannot do anything but focus on this game. (laughs) Oh my god.
1: Yeah, dude. It sounds like you would have to or else it wouldn't even be, you know, worth going through. I was going to say in, like, Bloodborne and Dark Souls, you eventually memorize, you know, exactly where an enemy is and exactly a route you need to take to, like, do things safely and effectively. But, like, an adapting environment and enemies is wild to me in a game like that.
0: You learn, like, how the different enemies kind of function, and you've got, like, God of War-style codex where it talks about their weaknesses. and. Okay. You do get some familiarity, and some of the rooms are kind of the same, because it's like a dungeon crawler where you just go through mm. room after room after room. It is very clearly inspired by Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask. Yeah. But it also has this really, it's got this, like, alien vibe to it. That's it's- pretty fun. As a sci-fi person, it's a very nice mashup of things I like while still being a very original and very interesting concept. And the fact that it's turned this roguelike dungeon crawler genre kind of on its head with that time loop mechanic, I think is just a stroke of brilliance that I can't believe hadn't been done before.
1: Yeah, honestly, that is that is fantastic, you know. Like, there's Demon Souls and Dark Souls, it's all medieval, and then there's Bloodborne, which is, like, Victorian, but having this sci-fi element instead of, like, a straight magical demon element is very intriguing to me, and if I ever get a PS5 Garrett, you know I'm gonna pick this one up. Hey, if you can beat that with how hard that sounds, then, you know, maybe you should give Bloodborne a try after all. Who knows?
0: I'm shocked at how much I'm enjoying it. That's the, that's my big takeaway. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. With me, with Bloodborne and Dark Souls and stuff, it's not like I can't do games on harder modes. It's just that at what point am I not enjoying this anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: As you can see, I hit that point many times. Granted... After however many times I did try, and now finally I beat it, I couldn't even begin to tell you what it's about. Like, I don't know anything about the story, so I, I think that maybe that might deter you a little bit.
0: When I give it a try, Seamus, I'm going to make my way through that PS Plus collection eventually, you know it.
1: <laughs> okay, yes. Two insane video games.
0: It's a good duo. That's a very serendipitous Rex. Yeah. there.
1: Yeah, I very much enjoy that, because, I mean... God knows it's going to be a lot for me to play and beat Demon Souls or Dark Souls, so I'll probably pick Returnal up first anyway.
0: I'm excited to hear your thoughts when you do. Also, oh, the quickest aside, the haptics on that are insane. Because oh, man. not only can you like feel the rain in your controller when it hits your controller, what? but the use of the dynamic triggers is the thing that's really crazy to me, because I've been like kind of charmed by... You know, in Call of Duty you feel the you feel the feedback on the trigger or mm-hmm. in Spider Man you feel the tension of the web as you shoot it kinda of go. But oh, that is so cool. Returnal is able to turn dynamic triggers into essentially another button where you pull it halfway to aim and then there's resistance, but if you pull it all the way through the resistance, you can do your alt fire. Oh, that is super cool. That is really dope. I would have expected this kind of game to come out in two years after they had had time to figure out how to make the PS5 controller like fully function. And if this is a first year game on this console, I don't even know how people are going to figure out how to use those kinds of dynamic range of that controller.
1: Oh my God, it's going to be so good. I think we even talked about that last week of like, this is the intro to this generation of games and we are being like floored by everything. It's going to be next level by the end of this.
0: But yeah, I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of pop culture reference if you want to reach the show you can tweet us at pcr underscore podcast find us on instagram at that same handle like us on facebook and email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com next week we are going to be talking a quiet place in anticipation for a quiet place 2 hitting theaters in just a couple weeks i haven't seen this one since the theater and i'm pretty excited to talk about it with you seamus
1: yeah, honestly, I haven't seen it since the theater either. And I'm, I'm excited to see what the uh, the streaming version of this experience is like. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
0: So yeah, join us next week. I'm excited to talk
1: quietly. <laughs> oh God, we're going to do that bit the whole show, aren't we?